Turn with me today in your Bible to First uh, Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two. Now, for many many weeks, we have been expounding First Peter chapter two, taking it very slowly, dealing with the verses. And we're coming now today to the last verse of 1 Peter chapter 2. And as you're turning to the place, uh, let me just uh, say that in all likelihood until probably after Christmas into January, we'll leave our exposition of 1 Peter and um, we'll begin to focus on our Christmas theme and Christmas message. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 And we'll read again from the verse 18. Servants, be subject to your own masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy, If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Amen. We trust and pray that God will bless us this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now let's turn this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2 and we're at verse 25. And my subject today is the fact and the focus and the fruit of true conversion. Three things. Let's read the verse together. For, or that word could be translated because, ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Think of the fact of true conversion. Why is it necessary? As I've said, the word for can be translated because. And Peter is immediately thinking of Isaiah chapter 53. He said in the last part of verse 24, by whose stripes she were healed. And of course, he's quoting directly from Isaiah chapter 53. 
And if you turn to that chapter, you'll be able to see uh, what the the, uh, apostle had in his mind. In Isaiah chapter 53 and in the verse um, 6 he says, uh, verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes are we healed. And then he says in verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid in him the iniquity of us all. And and as soon as um, the the apostle here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing this letter and thinks of these words, by whose stripes you are healed, quoting Isaiah 53, the last part of verse 5, he immediately thinks of verse 6. Why did we need healing? And here's the answer. For ye were as sheep going astray. Now I believe he's using uh, what we call an advertisement technique called before and after. Uh, And uh, maybe you'll see a product, for example, for uh, cleaning your teeth. And some they'll be on the television screen and you'll see them with uh, teeth that are unclean and and, uh, need a good brush and whatever. And then all of a sudden they'll show you another picture of somebody's teeth who are gleaming white. And then they'll put their product up, whether it's Colgate or whatever it is. That's what we call the before and after technique of advertisement. And it's very, very good and very, very useful. And people are probably rushing out to buy Colgate toothpaste. And I recommend it because that's the one that Rosemary buys and the one that I use. All right. So, But that's what he's using here, a before and after technique. He is illustrating God's power to save men from sin. And and, and he's thinking of why this salvation from sin is necessary. And he, he, he thinks in his mind, let's underscore this, there's a need for conversion. And we are, of course, very familiar with the illustration that he uses. For ye were as sheep going astray he uses a a simple illustration sheep going astray but it's a shocking illustration whenever you think about it you see sheep have a habit of wandering off they they go astray by themselves and we're not only familiar with sheep wandering off but when we think that we are like sheep I want us to think not only of the wandering of the sheep but I want you to think of the, the wantonness of the sheep. But what makes them wander off? You see sheep can be distracted. Um, they can be grazing in a field and they can come up the fence and think but the grass is greener on the other side. And if they can stick their head through, they'll stick their head through. And of course, that's where the little phrase that it's always greener in the other side of the fence. Uh, Sheep can easily leave the pathway that they're on and they can be easily distracted and wander off even by themselves. And it's not like us. So often we can be distracted by things. And sin, of course, can be looked upon as something that's going to bring us pleasure and joy. And we're so easily distracted by it. So easily as well deceived. Sheep can be deceived. Sheep can go the wrong way. And the Bible tells us 
for we have turned every one to our own way. And I think that's important that we underline the word own way. In other words, this is the way that we want to go, irrespective of whether it's the wrong way or the right way. But this is our way. This is the way we want. And we have turned to that. And of course, sheep can be disobedient. Uh, sheep can be headstrong. They'll not listen or follow the shepherd's voice. At times the shepherd would have to come to sheep and he'd have to break the leg. At other times he'd have to use his staff to, to pull them in close. And of course, sheep are encouraged to live and stay and abide near the side of the shepherd. But the minute they leave the side of the shepherd, become distracted, become deceived, and become disobedient, that they're led away from him. But as we've said, it's not just the wandering off of the sheep that Peter has in mind. Peter, as we've told you, is quoting from Isaiah chapter 53. And if you think again of the words of verse 6 of that chapter, he tells us, For all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he's thinking not only about the wandering of the sheep, but he's thinking of the wantonness of the sheep. You see, sheep are not lost by mistake. It's not just that they've got separated from the shepherd. It's not just that they've got separated because of circumstances and situations that have arisen and therefore become the emblem of pity, but are going astray by a wanton, willful wickedness. And that's the thought that I want you to get over. There's a picture of wandering in sin. But there's also a picture of wantonness in sin. In this sheep going astray illustration. We, we wander in willful wantonness against God. Sheep of course are always helpless. Didn't the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 9 verse 36 liken men as sheep without a shepherd. In other words, they can't rescue or save themselves. Sheep, of course, are defenseless. There's no more defenseless animal in all of the world. Do you know a sheep is really incapable of defending itself? Think of the little parasites that are on its wool or get into its ears or up its nose. Think of the, uh, the mountain lion. Think of the bear. Think of a household dog. See, sheep are defenseless. And the only defense that the sheep has is the shepherd. And boys and girls, remember the story about um, King David as a boy shepherd and how he fought off the lion and the bear. He was acting as a shepherd protecting the sheep. And here's a picture here. And Peter's underscoring in his mind of our need of true conversion. We have wandered from God because we were born with a wicked wantonness to go against God. We wander this world in sin. And we want our own way. Remember the Bible teaches for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're sinners by nature and practice. We, we sinned in Adam. 
We fell in him. We inherited from Adam the guilt and pollution of our sin. And, and in this wandering, wanton, helpless, defenseless state, we, we are exposing our souls to danger. We're exposing our souls to death. We're, we're exposing our souls to damnation. And Peter is mindful that that's what everyone is like before there's an actual turning to Christ. And I would encourage you today to think of the illustration for ye were as sheep going astray. And ask yourself if I accepted and acknowledged and taken on board this picture. This is what my life was like before I turned to Christ. This is what my life is like now because I haven't yet turned to Christ. And that imposes the need of true conversion. Here's the fact of it. This is why you, you need it. Notice something else here. The focus of true conversion. He says, But are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of our souls. It's interesting that the word returned here actually is the verb that's translated elsewhere, converted. Remember in Acts chapter 3, the apostle Peter says, Repent ye and be converted for the remission of sins. Be sorry enough to quit and be turned around for the forgiveness of sins. And here's a thought now, moving away from the need of true conversion to the, the nature of true conversion. True conversion is a turning around. It's a turning back. And of course, it ties into the language that's already quoted in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Remember what it says there, and we've read it a number of times again. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Now, now think of turning to own way. <clears throat> and then think of these words, but are now returned. Or, but are now turned unto the shepherd. Or, or converted. What's he saying here? He's saying, you turn to Christ. You turn back to the shepherd and bishop of your soul. Let's think of Luke 15. Remember the parable of the lost sheep. The man had a hundred sheep, young people. And he was counting them at night. And he discovered one sheep was lost. See, sheep's very hard to count, aren't they? But what he did was when he brought them to the sheepfold... He put them under the rod. That's what the rod means in Psalm 23. Thy rod and thy staff. It's the rod that he used to count the sheep in. And he counted 98, 99. Where's Dolly? Dolly's missing. He knew he had one sheep that was lost. And what did the parable tell us? The parable tells us that that shepherd went out and he saw it. To find the sheep that was lost. And he eventually found it. And then he lifted it and laid it on his shoulders. 
And he carried it home and he said to his friends, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And you read the parable. Parable of the lost sheep. Sheep was lost. Sheep was found. The sheep was carried home. But there's not one word of the sheep coming back by itself. The shepherd didn't go into his house and sit down and make himself a pot of tea or have a couple of cups of coffee and eat a few biscuits or, or fry himself a bit of steak and say, Dolly, Dolly will come by herself. Dolly wouldn't. He had to go and find it. And then I've asked myself, given that the parable is there, given that Isaiah 53 says we have turned to his own way, but there's no reference of that individual turning to Christ or turning back to the Lord. Why does Peter then insist on writing, but are now returned unto the shepherd on bishop of your soul? Why introduce the thought of you turn to Christ? Here's the thought. The shepherd going after the sheep and the sheep turning around and returning to the shepherd. Literally, it reads in the Greek, you turned yourself around. That's the thought. In the passive voice. Now, let me try and explain this. You see, we're like sheep as men. But men are not sheep. And there's a difference. We who are men and women, boys and girls, we are made in the image of God. And even though we're like sheep, we are not sheep. Because it's only a picture. It's only an illustration. The parable is just an illustration. We are real human beings. And while we're like sheep, we're different from sheep because we've got a free will. And of course that will that's depraved in Adam needs to be changed. And once it's changed, we can come back and return to God. What Peter's saying is, this is what you were like before conversion kicked in. You were sheep going astray. But now, you've returned. And in order for that to happen, there must be a work of grace in the soul. The Bible talks in Psalm 110 that he made them willing in the day of his power. And you see, there's now a change in the wandering one. There's now a change in the wanton one. There's now a change in the willful, sinful heart of an individual. This individual now has a desire to be saved. This individual has now a desire to turn from a life of sin to the Savior. That this, this individual wants to be saved. Is that where you're at this morning? Let me illustrate that. The late pastor Willie Mullen, uh, he, he was a drunkard. He was a tramp for God. Um, he, he led a gang and they were breaking into a big house somewhere about County Down. And as they were about to break into the house, he was smitten with conviction. And all of a sudden, he, he saw his sinfulness. He had this desire to be saved. And you know what he did? Rather than break into the house, he went away into the field. He got down on his knees and he called upon God to save him. You see, sheep left to themselves will never be found. 
And we who are like sheep, we are left to ourselves apart from the grace of God, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. We will never turn to Christ. We'll remain in that state conditionally, continually. We'll remain in that state habitually. In order for human beings to return to God, in order for human beings to be converted, there has to be a change of will. There has to be a desire to turn away from our life of living without God and a desire to turn to God. Remember in Thessalonians how you turn from idols to serve the living and the true God. And the responsibility is in every sinner to do what the Bible says, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be sorry enough to quit your sin. Hate it enough to stop. And to, to, to exercise faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't it true in all our experiences that we can say, Lord, there was a time when I had no thought of thee. Time and no fear of thee, no regard for thee. There was a time when I loved my sin. I loved my waywardness. I loved having my way. There was a time when I enjoyed living in sin. But Lord, you worked in my heart. And now, instead of loving and living in sin, I love you. And I want to learn from you. I want to be numbered among your followers. There can be no conversion without this work of grace. There can be no conversion without turning from sin to the Saviour. Remember in 2 Corinthians 5.21 we read, um, For he that is God... Have made him that is Christ to be sin for us who know sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There's a double imputation there. The imputation of our sin to Christ. And the imputation of the righteousness of Christ put to our account. And the Bible goes on to tell us if any man be in Christ. He is a new creature. All things have passed away. And all things have become new. And all things are of God. Let's try and further illustrate that. Think of old Abraham. Abraham was at a place called Bethel. And Bethel means the house of God, by the way. Anything that ends in E-L in the Bible has to do with God. El has to do with God. Beth has to do with house. Put the two together. Bethel is a wonderful picture of the house of God. And when Abraham was at Bethel, he was living in the presence of God. He was leaning on God's provision. He was loving the Savior. But when he had his face to Bethel. He had his back to Ai. Because Ai was behind him. And Ai means in the Hebrew. And heap. And there's a wonderful picture of conversion. Faith to, to God. And the things of God. Back to the world. Sometimes we sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me. The world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. See, it's a wonderful thing to experience conversion. To have had that desire to be saved. And be brought into a new relationship with God. A relationship that's unbreakable. To be brought into the, the fold of the shepherd. He says here in the context, by whose stripes ye were healed. And we're thinking this morning of spiritual healing. It refers, I believe, primarily to the healing of one's soul. And he mentions your souls at the end of the verse. 
I know there's an argument for healing and the atonement. I said last week, I believe uh, that, that God can and does heal the sick in a miraculous way to this day. But let's remember when the Bible talks about these things, it refers to the healing of our sin-sick soul. Uh, somebody has a headache. Somebody has a backache. Somebody has got pains in their legs. And if that was healed and taken away, but their soul was left the same, untouched, what would it profit them? Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? And young people, the most important thing that you have is your immortal soul. And the question that faces you today, have you faced up to the fact of your need of conversion? And have you experienced this conversion? In the, it's been a turning to God. A turning from sin to the Saviour. You, you've changed direction. And you're now in a new relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a turning to Christ. It's not only turning to uh, reformation or making yourself better. It's an actual turning to Christ. What does he say in our text? But are now returned unto the shepherd. He's the one who saves. And the bishop of your souls, he's the one who, who, who secures you or the one who sustains you. The Bible talks about being kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. One final thing. Not only the fact of true conversion here and the focus of true conversion, but notice the fruits of true conversion. But are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your soul. Now, now look at your Bible. I want you to look at the word shepherd. Young people do you notice how it begins with a capital S? Come down to the word bishop. How it begins with a capital B. And ask yourself why. And here's the answer. Because these are two glorious titles of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the shepherd. And Jesus Christ is the bishop. And it was given capital letters to emphasize that these are outstanding titles that we're to take into our mind. The Lord Jesus Christ, for example, in John chapter 10, verse 11, he said, I'm the good shepherd which giveth his life for the sheep. And of course, that helps us to think on the substitutionary atoning death of Jesus Christ. And remember, we are purchased by the substitutionary, sacrificial, atoning death and blood shedding of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says, there is no remission. The Bible tells us um, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So you've got to think of the shepherd's death, his, his, his sacrificial, substitutionary death on the cross for sinners. And then come to um, Hebrews chapter 13. Look at Hebrews 13 and verse 20. You're familiar with John 10, I have no doubt. But look at Hebrews 13 and verse 20. Here's a benediction. Now the God of peace, Paul as he writes his letter, closing it to the Hebrews. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Do you see that? that? That's a reference to his resurrection. Here's proof that his sacrificial atoning death satisfied the wrath of a sin-hating God. God raised him from the dead, bodily and literally. 
here's in this benediction, that great shepherd of the sheep, whom, whom God, whom God raised from the dead. Isn't that a wonderful thought? And then link it up with 1 Peter chapter 5, and he says um, in verse 4, and when the chief shepherd shall appear. Now, what am I doing? I'm linking up scripture with scripture. And that's a great hermeneutical principle to learn. Hermeneutics is just the science of Bible interpretation. How do we interpret our Bible? We compare one scripture with another scripture. Link it up with Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. And who's the shepherd? Is Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life for the sheep. The one who was bodily raised again from the dead. The one who's coming again, his second appearing. That chief shepherd shall appear. It's a reference to his second coming. The shepherd king who's coming to rule and reign over this world that he has made. Now these titles all teach us about the consequences or, or the fruit of conversion. Let me just throw them in in a couple of minutes. He's the shepherd. In other words, he's the owner of the sheep. Does not tie into the lordship of Christ. You can't have Christ as saviour without Lord. You can't say, well, I received Jesus as my saviour today, but in 20 years' time I'll receive him as Lord. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I, I reject that you can divide Christ. If you're receiving Christ as Savior, you're receiving him as Lord. He's your owner. He says you're bought with a price. You're not your own. In other words, when you come to Christ, here's one of the fruits. He's now your owner. He's now your master. And, 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 and you listen to him. You learn from him. But, but you love him enough to respect him, to do what he says. And also, he's the provider. I've already made reference to Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. And I believe that's the greatest testimony that any man has. Let me tell you a little illustration. There was a shepherd boy, and he only had a few sheep. He lived down in County Kerry. This is a true story. He was in his 20s, maybe going on to his early 30s. He only had maybe 20 or 30 sheep. One of them got lost. And he went out into the bleak, carry countryside to find the sheep and he found it after many days of searching and he came home and his family was glad but you know as a result of that search he took pneumonia and pneumonia is a very very difficult thing to struggle with even today never mind going back into the 19th century and he was lying in bed very, very ill. And there wasn't much medicine. There wasn't many doctors knocking about. There wasn't the hospital, NHS, that what we have today. And after he lay in bed for a number of days, there was a knock on his door. And you know who it was? It was a brethren evangelist. <coughs> he was holding meetings in the area, and he's given folks an invitation to come. Brought into the home. He was told about this boy that was in bed sick. And he said, could I talk to him? And he talked to him. They had a word of prayer together and read the scriptures. You know what he read? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And he says to that young man, Take your hand, son. Start with your thumb. The Lord is my shepherd. Possession belongs to me. He said, You're a shepherd. 
You own the sheep. You tried to provide for your sheep. He says, I want to tell you, there's a shepherd who can become your owner, who can provide for you even in this time of need. He had the joy of leading that young man to the Lord and that young man died and this is a true story and he had, when the undertaker come to get him, he had this hand over this finger on his left hand where you put your wedding ring and he was sending out a message. My shepherd. The provision of the Lord and his goodness and grace. Notice lastly, the word overseer or the word bishop. It literally means overseer. You see, he's watching us. Isn't there a popular song? The Lord is watching you. Constantly. Daily. His eye is upon us. And all that the needs of the sheep are met. Because he's not only their shepherd. But he's the one who's constantly got his eye upon them. And what a wonderful encouragement that ought to be to us today. If the Lord's our shepherd. He's the one who owns us. He provides for us. But he's watching us. Didn't Hagar say, Thou God seest me? And if we had that thought in our mind this week, in our homes, in our school, in our office, or wherever we're at, that the Lord's eyes upon me, and whatever we put our hand to do, whenever we open our mouth to speak, whatever we see with our eye, whatever comes in through ear gate, we remember, the Lord's my overseer. He's watching me, because that's what a bishop is. He's an overseer. Now there's another picture here in the application of this but leave it for today and I trust and pray that these few thoughts and conversion will be an encouragement and a help to us in our time together